All right, everyone, welcome to the Above Average Football Fan Podcast for above average football fans and below average football fans who want to learn more about the game, or if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, here we are for episode five of season two of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. My name is Andrew Drozdek, and I am here with one of my best friends back in his AOL messenger days, the brand new ACL 42. Now we just call him Thomas Bowen. (laughs) Thomas, it's good to see you. Oh, good evening, my friend. Thanks for uh, throwing me off my game with that one. Yeah, that was uh, back in the old AOL and MySpace days. Wait, wait, right. Blast from the past. That's right, man. That's right. So we are here. Uh, We are going to talk about for a hot second, uh, week two, then coming up week three. Uh, as always, the South Carolina game, the Clemson game, and a game of the week. Our game of the week this week is Alabama, Florida. And so let's stop, uh, kick it off here with let's talk about what went on, uh, our biggest takeaway, so to speak, in week two. Thomas, I think I speak for both of us when I'd say we were both shocked and quite wrong in our prediction, like most everybody around the country was in that Oregon-Ohio State game. Yeah, you know, you're, you're right. And we talked last week about how, you know, uh, Oregon defensively to stop Ohio State really needed Thibodeau to be healthy and be on the field. He was not on the field very little. I think he only played a snap or two and then he was gone, if that. And then they just stifled that Ohio State offense. I did not see that coming, but I think it's, it's Ohio State has some issues on offense. That is for sure. And I think the thing that surprised me the most, yeah, you're right, but the Ohio State defense was just not there. Um, There was questions about their secondary. We hit on that last week, but at the same time, man, that was just surprising. Um, Overall, they have not been the same team since they got this new defensive coordinator. Um, So it's going to be interesting. Ryan Day has come out and said that they're going to revamp the defense and get ready going forward, but they got a lot of work to do on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball. They, They got some things to work on. Yeah, I think you're right. Particularly looking at it on the defensive side of the ball, it, it just blew my mind how Ohio State did not adjust at all. There were no in-game adjustments. There were no halftime adjustments, and Oregon was just exploiting them left and right. That was the biggest surprise to me defensively. Absolutely. All right, so we are going to jump into this week now. We're going to switch up the order just a little bit, start off with the Clemson game. Clemson is at home, and they'll be playing the rambling wreck from Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, uh, starting off with Georgia Tech's offense. They have uh, their, their head coach is Coach Jeff Collins, and he brought with him from Temple, where he was previously, I think for only two seasons. Isn't that right, Bowen? Yeah, it was uh, 17 and 18, I believe. He was right after rule, right? Yep, that's right. Okay, so this offensive coordinator, man, you know I'm going to mess this name up, Bo, and I know if you're looking at our show notes, David, I don't even know, Panarandon? God, you know, I, did, I, didn't even, I didn't even look at it earlier, but uh, yeah, we'll go uh, Pat Nowd. Pat Nowd, that was, I was so far off, um, but anyway... <laughs> Um, he, uh, came with him from temple. He had previously been at coastal Carolina for five years, um, under the old regime down at coastal before their current head coach down there. That's really put them really on the map, so to speak. But anyway, um, he is a shotgun based quarterback or excuse me, offensive coordinator, really interesting in the fact that 
it is shotgun based, but it's almost wing T in the shotgun. They love jet motion pre-snap for our fans who don't know what that is. That is bringing a wide receiver all the way from one side of the field to the other before the snap of the ball. The idea there is you can snap it, and as he's crossing the quarterback, the quarterback can either fake it to him to make the linebackers look at him for a second or give it to him and have him go around the edge, and he's almost basically got a running start as he goes into uh, the secondary there. So that's something they they use a lot. So uh, very interestingly, they lost to Northern Illinois uh, week one. One thing I did not know about that game was that their current quarterback, Jordan Yates, who is a true freshman, was their backup coming into the game, that game. Their starter got hurt very early, very early. And so, you know, Jordan played much better in their game last week, but ultimately, you know, Carolina right now on offense is dealing with some woes from having a backup quarterback in. And we'll talk about that when we get to the Gamecocks, but that always hurts your offense a little bit. And so I think they righted the ship a little bit in their most recent game, but, uh, they, uh, they struggled on offense at times in their first week. Love to use the play-action pass. Love to use that jet sweep fake and go from there. They do want to be balanced. They want to run and pass because they use the run to set up the pass. And that is, uh, you know, kind of their MO. Their starting tailback, Jameer Gibbons or Gibbs, is a pretty capable runner. Had um, close to 100 yards in their first game. Um, really did well in their second game, but split some time. It was a game where, you know, you got to see a lot of players in there. I, were they playing Kennesaw? Is that right? Who did they play yeah, last Kennesaw week? State. That's right. Kennesaw State. Okay. All right. So tell us a little bit about Thomas. We've already talked a little bit about Clemson's defense, but just kind of tell us a little bit more about him. What have we learned so far about him in two games? You know, I think we've learned uh, a lot of what we knew about them, really strong up front. Um, but, you know, looking at these two games, Georgia is, is really your only sample size, and that is and that is a massive sample size when you're looking at talent on talent. Um, and uh, But, you know, they forced two turnovers against Georgia, uh, one against SC State. So, you know, they're getting after the ball. That's what they're going to do. But, again, really focusing on what they did against Georgia was just uh, a lot of that inside pressure and making life really, really tough on opposing quarterbacks. Um, so, I think – um, this offense, Georgia Tech's offense is going to have a lot of trouble with Clemson's defense here, especially if they've got that, that true, you said he's a true freshman quarterback. Is that right? That's, right? that's correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah it's going to be a long day for him and that offense. Um, I, and, and honestly, spoiler alert, but one of my keys for Georgia Tech to win was I said, just go back to the triple option. That's, that's honestly yeah, their only chance against this defense. Uh, yeah. uh, Clemson, of course, has been very opportunistic on defense and they're going to get after it. Skalski, of course, the uh, the headhunter in the middle linebacker back there is crushing it. I mean, I think he had 14 tackles in the Georgia game. Uh, of course, most of the starters didn't get a lot of reps in the second half against SC State because they didn't have to. But I mean, there's there's you know there's not a lot of meat on the bone here. Like we know what's going to happen in this game as far as Clemson's defense versus their offense. I agree with you. I agree with you. And kind of the same deal with Clemson's offense. I will say, obviously, DJ, uh, the big topic in the upstate is he has struggled, um, you know, particularly struggled in the Georgia Tech or Georgia game. But now against SC State, 
I mean, he was better, but it was not. They they still aren't super confident up there. Um, after that Georgia game, a lot of Clemson fans were calling for Tony Elliott's head. Um, you know, and to to be honest with you, that's the the tough part about fans. Uh, we won't get into Clemson fans and and all that nonsense, but just fans in general are so quick to turn on somebody and. You know, it's just ridiculous to to be where Clemson has been, and and he's been a part of that, a huge part of that. And to in one game, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Is is you know that's the tough part of coaching is you go you have one game and you get to hear about how bad you are, um, which is just unfair. But they they've really got to build DJ's confidence. If I'm the offensive coordinator, if I'm Tony Elliott in this game, Georgia Tech is outmatched. We know that. I'm I'm getting. DJ some confidence throws, some some quick slants, some some uh, wheel routes or swing routes, excuse me, some easy post routes in a, a cover two situation, something that isn't real hard, and and he can read simply and get some confidence in his game. When you watched him last season against Notre Dame and, and BC, he was a confident quarterback. He he was playing really well, and, and this player we're seeing right now is not the same guy mentally and you know i think back to um eric kenry's old podcast the fade that perry orth once talked about when he was playing being concerned about the fans and if i throw this ball and throw this pick you know it starts to creep into your head and i just think dj needs a confidence builder luckily they should be have them outmatched here and and get that confidence back but it, it that's really been the story so far for Clemson's offense. Also, their offensive line has struggled at times. They've got to find some rhythm there. Again, the biggest sample size, and we'll talk about this when we get to Carolina again, and we're about to find out how hard it is. That Georgia line defensively is just as hard as the Clemson line, in my opinion. And so they, you know, they've got to get their act together. It's it, it's been tough. They got hit in the mouth coming out, but you know, they obviously did what they're supposed to do against South Carolina state and, you know, Georgia tech, they're a big favorite. This is a chance to build their uh, confidence again. Uh, Thomas, tell us a little bit about Georgia tech's defense. Yeah. And, you know, and, and also I, I did want to mention before I dive into their defense, what you were saying earlier about Tony Elliott and, and the fans turning on him. And, and, and of course I, I hate it for him, but, but you know, at, at the same time, when you're when you're when you're king of the mountain in college football, which which you know right now is Clemson and Bama and maybe one or two others, but that's the price you pay when you're there. You, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, and and they're going to be coming after you. But you know, they'll they'll get they'll get it right up there, I'm sure. Um, but defensively for Georgia Tech, um, obviously we have not talked about their scheme. We haven't covered them at all, but very briefly, Andrew Thacker, their defensive coordinator, uh, he's a Collins guy, was with Collins at Temple. Collins brought him to Georgia Tech, runs a 4-2-5, very similar that we've uh, broken down before. Uh, really, the only difference is he's, he's very specific about he drops his Sam linebacker in a 4-3, which is that strong side linebacker, drops that for that nickelback for that fifth defensive back on the field. Um, Numbers-wise, you know, it's, it's not a whole lot to say. They, they, their sample size also, as we mentioned, so that they had a 22-21 loss against Northern Illinois, and then they beat Kennesaw State 45-17. to Against Northern Illinois, they gave up 300 yards, Kennesaw State 260. But again, what does that really tell us? It doesn't tell us a whole lot about that defense. 
defense. What we do know about that defense is they're led by uh, by their two linebackers, uh, Junior Jackson and then a Junior Ely, who is a Maryland transfer. Um, Ely is leading the team with 21 tackles in a quarterback hurry. Quez Jackson's got 17 tackles and a tackle for loss. So they are led by some strong linebackers back there, which they are going to have their hands full against Clemson. Um, especially as you mentioned, if, if they're getting DJ and some of those quick hitter passes, some slants, some easy passes, running backs out of the backfield and hitting those in the flats, those linebackers are going to be worked all day long. I will say that they up front, they're a little bit undersized. They've got, they've got some good size and good tacklers, <clears throat> excuse me, in the back seven, but their defensive line is, is definitely undersized. Uh, so it'll be interesting. This this could definitely be a confidence building game for that Clemson offensive line, which, as you mentioned earlier, they definitely need. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So that brings us to the two things Georgia Tech needs to do to win uh, and then two things Clemson needs to do uh, from both of us. So I will say Georgia Tech first. I think the biggest thing is they got to find a way to establish the run, get Gibbs and the running backs involved um, because they do seem to be so play action heavy. Uh, they've got to get some some traction out of that jet sweep. Uh, if you never have success with it or you never hand it off, it's just window dressing. At the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything. So they got to have some success there. They're going to have to have zero turnovers. They cannot give the ball up and they need to play like they got nothing to lose because honestly, they don't. You talked about it earlier about Tony Elliott. And when you're at the top of the mountain, that's kind of the price you pay. Also, when you're at the top of the mountain, you're everybody's Super Bowl. Everybody in the ACC is gunning for Clemson. They want Clemson. So Georgia Tech will come out there, and they're going to play with their hair on fire, and it's going to just be a matter if they can match up with them. What do you think Tech needs to do to get this win? Yeah, and you know, I jokingly mentioned earlier that, that one of their keys is to go back to the triple option because if you right. go back to the Paul Johnson days whenever he coached Georgia Tech and infamously ran that – ran that triple option, that, that was really the only advantage that Georgia Tech had over teams because it's so difficult to prepare for a, a one-off week against a triple option team. Um, but but in, in all seriousness, the, the other key I've got here is I mentioned earlier that Georgia Tech is, is undersized on the defensive line, but they're going against Clemson's offensive line that you mentioned earlier has had some issues. I think they can use that undersized defensive line to their advantage a little bit. If you saw particularly – South East Carolina versus South Carolina last week and East Carolina's defensive line was a little bit undersized and they use that to their advantage. They can do a lot more stunts and slip in gaps and close gaps off a lot quicker. So Georgia tech really needs to use that to their advantage. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So with Clemson, what they need to do to win, I think it's looked strong in the passing game uh, as much as other teams, you know, traditionally you hear the run to, to set up the pass Clemson in a lot of ways, in my opinion, oftentimes passes to set up the run. So their passing game being off, when you think about the most success they've had, which they've obviously had a tremendous amount, Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, when they were there and, and the passing game was clicking, that running game really opened up. So they, they've really got to work on that uh, this week. And then I believe, I mean, again, I'm not a defensive guy, but this is how my brain would work. DJ has not looked super confident. That line has not looked super cohesive. I'd be bringing heat. You talked about it a second ago. I'd be bringing heat. We'd be twisting and stunting and dropping guys that you're not expecting to drop and, and rushing guys you're not expecting to rush. 
And that is to me, you got to create chaos because if you just play them man on man, you're not matched up for that. You're going to have to get, get a little crazy. And I think, you know, you saw uh, with South Carolina and East Carolina, we'll talk about that in a minute, how that successful defense getting pressure can be when you bring extra guys or you stunt or you do whatever that's what Georgia Tech's going to need to do to get to Clemson. And so I think Clemson's going to have to handle that pressure. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and in all honesty, uh, to be quite frank with you, the, the two keys that I have for Clemson to win this game is one to show up and two play Clemson football, because right. I, honestly, if, if you're right, they, they can use this game as, as a bit of a tune-up game. And it's not often that you get a conference opponent right. call a tune-up game so this could be good for Clemson but they need to go out there work on some things execute better give a lot of those guys some confidence so they can have that going down the stretch absolutely agree with you I think we both have, have pretty much made it very clear we think this is a, a pretty easy Clemson victory here don't we yeah I mean I'm looking at you know this is going to be a, a 42 45 to you know 10 to 17 something like that yeah, that sounds about right to me. Uh, pretty comfortable for the Tigers. Maybe sit some guys in the fourth quarter. All right, so that brings us to the South Carolina Gamecocks versus Georgia, the other Georgia main school there, the University of Georgia in Athens. And as one of my favorite professional wrestling commentators, Jim Ross, used to always say, business is about to pick up for the Gamecocks. <laughs> they have not played anybody to this caliber. Caliber. Uh, we saw how good Georgia is against Clemson, um, and we saw how good they were in their game last week. Carolina's offense, we've discussed the scheme. Um, really, I think it's obvious to say that for three quarters, this offense struggled. Zeb Nolan, uh, who is in there because of an injury, but also because of his experience and his cool, calm nature and his ability to, quote, be a coach on the field, put the ball in danger, gave up a bad interception, and really should have had a second one um, a little bit later there, bounced off three different Pirate defenders, particularly down the middle of the field and in the seams area. I'm going to talk about that here in a second. The OL struggled uh, with the run, particularly early in the game. It was not good. It was not good at all. Um, and I've got to be honest with you, pass protection was not much better. But without knowing, you know, Coach Beamer pointed this out, without knowing the protection that's called, you don't necessarily know who messed up. Does that make sense? So, like, a running back may be responsible for first threat or this linebacker or that linebacker, even the defensive end. And so when it looks like that left tackle or right tackle let a guy go by him, it's because he's counting on the back to get him. And when the back doesn't, that makes the left tackle who let this guy run right by him look like he's not doing his job. And so yeah, and go ahead, keep going. I was just going to say, we, it, it does look like the offensive line gave up a lot of errors there, but we, we don't know. Now it is on the quarterback and the center and sometimes the tackles to call out these things. You have communications. And let's be honest, the East Carolina crowd was not a sellout. And if we can't communicate in Greenville, North Carolina, we're certainly not going to be able to communicate down in Athens at 7 o'clock on Saturday. What were you going to say, Thomas? Yeah, I was going to ask you uh, from, an, from an 
from an offensive line kind of schematic, uh, one of the things I noticed that looked like to me, the South Carolina offensive line against East Carolina, they, whenever they would come out of their stance to block and as particularly in run blocking, it was that they weren't getting that push. They were almost standing straight up and then shuffling. And, and I know that sometimes in a, I think in a zone scheme that can be by design, but it also looked like they were just getting stood straight up and without getting any push. Were you seeing any of that? I did a little bit, but you're exactly right. Also, that's the danger you run with the zone is there is a little bit less fire off and really, I'm working with my teammate to my left or my right, depending on the play. And I may only be supposed to block half a guy. And we're supposed to work. The other problem is you and your teammate, you and your buddy are responsible for that down lineman and the linebacker over the top. So you have your eyes not on the defensive lineman, but on the linebacker. Because if he scrapes, one guy's got to come off. If he does what's called a wrong flow, he goes underneath because he knows he can screw you up by doing that. Or if he just stunts that way, you got to be ready to slide off and get him. I got to be honest with you. The zone blocking scheme, when it's done well, is very effective. But to me, is very, can easily fall apart for those reasons. It is not the way you and I might think of the way we played football. We ran some zone when I was in high school. I coached some zone when I was coaching high school ball, but it's, it has its shortcomings in my opinion at times. It's more sophisticated. It can handle anything because you're going to an area, not to a person, but you got to practice it and communicate so, so well. It's got to be in your blood and in your DNA. And we're going to talk about how the outside zone is a little bit easier in my opinion for how it's done, but you're right. A lot of times you are shuffling. You're not looking to fire off at even a 45 degree angle. You may be coming off more of a 60 degree and even in some cases giving up ground to get where you're trying to go. So that is an issue. Um, but you got to get movement. And, and, you know, one of the things I've talked about in the past is the way you stop the inside zone is you break the wall because you're trying to be a tidal wave as an offensive line in the zone. If you break that wall and get run throughs, you're dead in the water, which we saw a lot with our running backs in the first half, they'd get the ball and there's a guy right there. And I mean, I've seen some mention of, well, in college, you've got to be ready to, you know, make the first guy miss. Sure. But not after like a half step after you get the hand, the handoff, like Kevin Harris at one point turned a for sure three yard loss into a two-yard gain. So that doesn't look great in the stat book, but in reality, he got a five-yard run there. Yeah, and, and if, if one of the things I noticed was, and you're absolutely right, with the inside zone runs, they were getting blown up so much. And as you said, break that wall. East Carolina was bringing so much A and B gap pressure right up the gut and right over the center and that mm-hmm. guard, so it was blowing it up. But you, if you notice later in the game, particularly when Juju McDowell came in, we started running mm-hmm. a lot more outside yep. zone, yep. and which worked beautifully. Now, granted, right. some of that was Juju and his ability to see things sure. and shoot in there so quickly, but the outside zone was definitely more effective last week than the inside. And, you know, my biggest concern, switching back to pass uh, pro, I saw some times when our tackles were just smoked 
just absolutely smoked. You had what we all jokingly in football called the lookout block. They turned around and screamed, look out to the quarterback because that guy was coming. Particularly um, on the left side of the line too, which you never want to see that left tackle getting blown. And, and I got to be honest, our left tackle at one point, and I watched it a couple times. I was like, something must have happened. He must have gotten tripped up. And he just got bull rushed and flat pancaked, like flat backed. And that should not happen on pass protection. You're in pass pro. That's sh- there should be no reason for that to happen. I don't know if there was, he missed the the call or he missed a call to look in. He's looking inside, you know, again, without knowing, because I was going to do a breakdown. I was going to sit, I'll be honest. And I was going to sit and, and watch it like I did when I was a coach and, and grade each offensive lineman on a play. Here's the issue with trying to do that. And that's what these sites like profootball.com and all those things that you can get these supposed stats from do, but you don't know the play call. You don't know the protection. You don't know a lot of things. I can look at it and go, oh, the left tackle got blown up. He may have gotten blown up because he was looking inside for a linebacker blitz and he'd called for somebody else. And all of a sudden <clears throat> he's trying to switch at the last second, gets off balance. We just don't know that. And that's the nuances of playing offensive line. And, and so I say all that to say it does have to get better and it better get better in a hurry because, because business is about to pick up, but we don't know exactly what happened. And I will say to pass pro in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, things got a lot better. We, we max protected a lot. We kept one and two backs in. The communication obviously had gotten clearer, and it really, really looked better. Now, talking about the outside zone, which is what we were running in the third and fourth quarter with a lot of success. You mentioned Juju um, McDowell there having a lot of success. So in the outside zone, you are literally trying to get to the far shoulder of your defender, across from you you are trying we you can be taught to what we call wrong arm it where you take if you're going to your right you shoot your left arm in and kind of uppercut it and lean on him and run that's literally what you're trying to do or you can do a bucket step and this is a hard thing this is how they taught it up at west virginia when rich rod was there your first step with your play side foot is backwards you are giving up ground because you are actually in a way inviting that guy up because you want to get all the way to the other side of him. Here's the other thing about the outside zone that I think is great. Let's say you can't cross that guy's face. He's slanting towards the play side. What you do as an offensive lineman, you get on his back hip and you drive him into the third row where he's going and you, you wash him. And when you run outside zone, as drills and practice, you will see coaches run a drill where they want the, the offensive lineman to feel what that feels like, to know, okay, I'm beat, take him all the way, take him to take him into the to the stands. Because once you wash, then we're gonna be able to cut back. Or you're gonna run him completely out of the play and use his momentum against him. And it's a lot like the option in that way, in my opinion, because you're you're dead wrong as a defensive lineman. And if you teach it that way on what you do, because let's say he's flowing to the ball, all of a sudden he gets a push from the backside. Then he's getting, he he's doing what he's supposed to do, but he's been run out of the play anyway. You know, and a lot of times, go ahead. A lot of times what you'll see is that last man on the line of scrimmage left unblocked. That's where you see the, the old school West Virginia and more recently with Gamecock fans, Connor Shaw ran this a lot where you had the QB read. He is literally looking at the last man on the line of scrimmage on the backside of the play. If he comes rushing in to try and tackle that football out of the running back, he's going to pull it and go around him. If he sits, he's going to give it. 
Go ahead. Yeah, which is and, and which is I was just going to add that that's one of the things of beauty with the outside zone is as you're saying where where <clears throat> when you're driving that defensive line whether you're washing them out or you're hooking them and driving them back in and setting that edge from an offensive line standpoint it gives the running back so much flexibility because if you've got a good patient running back they're going to slide and they're going to go with the flow and wait to watch and see those lanes open up and so anytime I see an outside zone like that that is blocked really well i always like to see how the running back attacks that and how they look for those creases to open up well and i'll tell you juju did a great job with that um and i and again when i make these types of comparisons i always give this caveat i'm not trying to say he's this guy so please nobody listening think i'm trying to compare him to this guy marshall falk was the king of setting up his blocks I can't being, believe you just compared Juju to Marco. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly, clearly that's what happened. Um, but he had that knack to set it up. And, and Juju did a great job for, you know, the quarter and a half <clears throat> where he was setting up those blocks. He was being patient. You even saw him <clears throat> do a little kick uh, stutter step at one point, which is a Marshall Falk move, by the way. And uh, he, you know, really did a good job with that. I know there's been a lot of questions about running backs and the running back rotation. To me, it looks like our strategy seems to be play the hot hand. Who is the hot guy at the moment? You know, and, and I was personally, and I think he's going to be a very good player. I still think he is a good player. Marshawn Lloyd's fumble in the red zone could have been a, a game killer. And luckily, Nick, Nick Muse jumped on it. But you can't have that happen. You cannot have that happen. You can't fumble really ever, but definitely not in the red zone. And especially in a game like that. So I was kind of happy to see he got, you know, sent to the bench because you can't do that. And Juju was hot. He was making big plays. He had a 62-yard kick return. Like, he, he was doing big things. He needed to be out there. So switching to our right wide receivers, even though, especially even early in the game where there was pass issues, pass protection issues, missed passes, Josh Van, holy moly Josh Van, like – Coach Step, ask for a raise now because this kid under two games under him has looked like a completely different player. Not exactly only did what he, we wanted him to be. Exactly. Not only did he have a very nice catch on an out route on third down, right? It was about three or four plays before that interception in the first quarter. I This is what I loved. Caught it. Momentum was taking him out of bounds. And he went, no, 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 I'm not going out of bounds. Came back in bounds to go get three or four more yards. That's aggressive. That's a confident football player. And I, that says a lot to me right there. You know, I hate what happened on the post route. That should have been a touchdown. You know, not his fault. Guy did a great job of East Carolina, you know, coming doing the peanut Tillman punch and punching it out and just a, an eyelash away from a touchdown, which is just ridiculous for Josh. But, you know, of course, he had some great plays on a vertical down the sideline, left sideline um, in the third quarter, fourth quarter in the second half, where, you know, again, Zeb all of a sudden became this different player and was throwing dimes. And, and you know, as I think one of the announcers who weren't great, but he made a, a comment I'd never heard before. He said he dropped it in his front shirt pocket. And like, that was a great throw by Zeb and a good catch by, by Josh. Cause he had a guy right there on it. And then the corner route or fade route in the corner of the end zone that ended up not being called a touchdown. I, I, again, I think you could make an argument that was a touchdown. The officials yeah. did not do us any favors in this game uh, to mention wide receivers. 
Dak Joyner was down. Like he he laid down, read a book, ate a snack, and then the ball came out. Absolutely. Like it was ridiculous that that happened. Um, but you know that's neither here nor there. And again, Dak Joyner, great play in in the back of the end zone with a tough catch. Good throw again by Zeb. Had to go over a linebacker, but that's a tough that's a tough catch for a wide receiver. You got a sea of hands, and all of a sudden the ball's on you. And he made a great catch there. Um, you know. The thing about our passing game that we saw success in the second half, particularly the last part of the third quarter and in the fourth quarter, we started to attack from the hash out. Joe Brady, who Coach Satterfield worked with in the NFL and was influenced by Sean Payton, they love to attack the hash and out. That is a wide area if you break the football field into thirds, particularly in the college game, the sideline to the hash, hash to hash, hash to the other sideline, the area between the hash and the sideline is actually bigger than the area between the two hashes. It's harder to cover. And once we decided, hey, we're going to attack the outside, we're going to go hash and out, that made all the difference in the world, plus good protection. Now, there was one play, and I think you and I talked about this, Thomas. It was a third down. I can't remember. I may have been Jimmy Legree was playing. Uh, no, that's our old DB. Yeah, um, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, Leggett, is that one of our wide receivers? Xavier Leggett. Thank you. Thank you. So he ran a hitch, and it looked like Zeb must have thought he was going to run an out. So Zeb threw it a little far down the sideline, and one of our coaches let their play sheet fly into the air, like <laughs> exasperated. And I'm sure he got a hard time for that in the film room. But I mean, it was, you know, when that happened, I, that was early in the third. And I was like, oh my God, we just aren't going to write this ship. But thankfully, it, it did happen. Um, again, to me, as we get into this Georgia game, we've got to stay to the hash and to the sideline on both sides. Of course you attack the middle when you can, but here let's think about what's going on in our, against us. They're going to blitz us. They're going to bring extra guys. Most likely there's going to be one high safety in the middle of the field and man coverage possibly, you know, to me, I think we've found our honey hole and we stay outside the numbers. If you do get two high safeties and the middle of the field opens, throw that post. But the other thing is, this is what I don't like about RPOs, is if you're a throwing quarterback, you, you're looking to throw it. You're looking to throw it. And I think Zeb was looking for that throw, and he forced it. You know, it's kind of like a, a quarterback who's a runner on that QB read on, on inside and outside zone. He's looking to pull it. He wants to pull it because he wants to run the ball. Because, you know, you don't play quarterback and not have a lot of confidence. So Zeb thinks, I can pull it and fit it in there. And the end result was not very good for us. So the other thing I want to point out, here's the toughness that I liked about the football team. Carolina did not tie the game till a minute and 30 left in the third quarter. They were down the entire game. And in years past, that would have never have happened. We would have fallen off well before then. And then Here's what's crazy, Thomas. I looked this up. My dad pointed this out to me. Shout out, dad, for pointing this out to me. He told me to put it in the show. Carolina's last offensive series was their longest offensive series. They had the ball for 10 plays, got the ball at the four-minute 25 mark, and didn't give it back to East Carolina. So you're up three. You're up three, and if you, if you give the ball back to them, 
you know, they've had a little bit more success in the second half against us. So you're, you're putting yourself in danger. So if you're up three and you manage to hold on to the ball for the rest of the game, which is what we did, that's that four-minute offense where you hold the ball instead of trying to go fast in the two-minute offense. We executed that to a T. The last thing I want to talk about with offense before I let you talk about the defense that we're going to face I was watching the Eagles on Sunday because, of course, I'm an Eagles fan. <clears throat> They're playing the Falcons. Falcons aren't great. But the Eagles looked fantastic. I watched Jalen Hurts, who was 1-3 in three in his starts, his first four starts uh, for the Eagles last year in a completely different regime, completely different offense. That offense that the Eagles are running are, are made for his strengths. He rolls the pocket. He has an opportunity to run. He has built-in running plays. He's a threat to run. He only rushed for, I think, 70 yards or something like that, threw for 300, but only rushed for about 70. But it was the threat. It was the threat that he could run that really had to keep Atlanta at bay and be honest. And I found myself thinking, I, for a split second, I couldn't remember, who's our backup? It's Joe Flacco. No disrespect, Joe Flacco's got a court, got a Super Bowl championship, but he ain't running around like that. So if the if Jalen goes down, that Eagles offense that looked pretty good against the Falcons in week one ain't gonna look so good. That's what we're seeing with Zeb. There is no disrespect to Zeb. This offense for the spring, from the time this coaching staff arrived, really was designed for a guy like a Doty who can use his legs and make plays and designed run plays. You know, there's the reason I also made that connection, Shane Beamer was at Oklahoma when Jalen Hurts was at Oklahoma. He saw that threat and what could do. And all these coaches influence each other. They steal from each other. They take plays from each other. If you think we don't have plays in our playbook that came straight from Oklahoma, you're crazy. And without Doty out there, that has been a missing element. You know, there has been back and forth, back and forth is – is Zeb going to start? Is Doty going to start? Is he healthy? Is he not? It will be extremely difficult to win this game in any way. But, and this isn't about Zeb, it's about not having all of the tools at our disposal as an offense without Doty out there. Thomas, what are your thoughts on that? <clears throat> yeah, you're exactly right. If you look at if you look at the defense, if you look at Georgia's defense that South Carolina is going to be facing, they have you know, absolutely lived up to their hype so far through, <clears throat> excuse me, through two games. Again, really going back to their, their, the main part of their sample size is going to be that, uh, that Clemson game, but Hey, Clemson only rushed for two yards, count them one, two yards against this defense. UAB rushed for 127. Now, of course, I'm not saying that UAB has a better rush rushing game than Clemson does, but Hey, those are the numbers on that. Uh, one of the things that I found really interesting on this defense, which is just kind of staggering, through two games, Georgia has forced 18 punts, which puts mm -hmm. them on pace by my terrible math at 100 on the season. Of course, you know, that's going to regress to the mean a little bit, but that is insane. Wouldn't you say that I'd say over the course of a year, a really good defense forces, what, 70, maybe 75 punts? Right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So they're just they're 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 phenomenal on the defensive side of the ball. We, we've talked before about uh, their nose guard Davis, who is just a monster on the inside, and he's continuing to make himself a whole lot of money. Um, I've noticed with their defense that they're bringing a lot of a lot of those inside those a gap blitzes. And 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 here's the thing: when you've got a nose tackle like 
Davis, who draws a lot of double teams, that opens up those inside gaps for those linebackers to shoot straight in and blow up the backfield, which is, is very obvious because their they're leading tackler and sack leaders, Tyndall, Anderson, and Dean, respectively, are all linebackers. So that, mm-hmm. that's the benefit they have when they've got guys on the front three. Again, they run that three, four, mostly three, four, some three, three, five. Um, eating up so many blocks and drawing double teams, it just makes life really, really easy for the linebackers. Um, one of the things that I did notice also is, so, so again, because they bring a lot of that inside pressure, and even when they don't, because you've got, again, a guy like Davis at nose tackle, it's going to be even more difficult to run that inside zone against this defense. Mm-hmm. Don't uh, South Carolina should not even try it, honestly. Um, they're, they're definitely going to have more success with, with the outside zone against this defense. But then you've got a linebacker like Tyndall who has amazing speed. I mean, he can get to the edge so quick. He's such a heady player and instinctive and a really good reader as well. And he can read plays and blow them up early. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be tough it's going to be tough for South Carolina offensively against this defense. There's opportunities, but it's going to be tough. Absolutely. You're right. You're right. All right. So Clemson's – or excuse me, Clemson. Uh, Georgia's offense, we've talked a lot about their their style there and what they're looking to do. The biggest question coming into this is, is JT Daniels healthy? And is is it Stinson – what's his last name? Stetson Bennett. The fourth. Um, the fourth. Sounds like a lawyer. Um but, uh, you know, he's also hurt. So who's going to be the quarterback for Georgia? And let's keep in mind, a healthy JT Daniels did not score an offensive touchdown against the Clemson defense. I'm not sure South Carolina is at that level. I think, and you'll talk about this, I don't want to step on your stuff. I think our defense is a lot better than we expected it to be. And again, business is about to pick up and we're going to find this out for sure. But that's something to keep in mind. Georgia's offense has not against UAB they did, but against competition that was at a high level, they did not perform great. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Thomas, tell us a little bit about Carolina. and We know the scheme, but talk about what you've seen from these guys so far. Yeah, again, really has has been a, 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 a bright spot for a lot of people. I think, um, you know, a lot of people had had – you know, cautiously optimistic, but but maybe a little high hopes for this defense. But they've they've really impressed me in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things that's really impressed me, and, and and we knew that the strength of this defense was going to be up front for sure on that defensive line, and to an extent the linebackers as well. But they they've really done a fantastic job. Um, again, Eastern Illinois and and East Carolina. But hey, we, we go off of the stats and the numbers and and the games that we have. Um, Last week against uh, East Carolina, I believe South Carolina only blitzed on like six of Ehlers' 30 dropbacks, but they pressured on 17 of 30. So basically what, what we're saying here is that South Carolina got to the quarterback on nearly half of his dropbacks and they were only sending three or four, which is really great. It makes life a heck of a lot easier on your back seven in coverage when you don't have to bring extra guys to get pressure and they can get pressure with just three or four there. But of course, the, the, a big bright spot here has been, I mean, Enigbari. I mean, the guy is just a, a monster on the defensive end. Um, I know you were, you were poo-pooing a little bit on like the pro football focus stats earlier. And uh, so I'm going to dive into them a little bit because they are kind of fun to look at. And if you look at it now, 
nationally, at least it's it's pretty level playing field, whether sure. whether you want to put a lot of stock into it or not. But um, so he's got Enigbari, in fact, has the second best pass rushing grade in the country with pro football focus. And Enigbari alone is getting pressure on 28 percent of the passes, which is phenomenal. It's, 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 it's impressive, impressive to say the least. But I will say another bright spot that I did not see coming was Cam Smith. Cam Smith is somebody who uh, I think South Carolina fans have had high hopes for a while, but it just kind of hasn't come together and he hasn't been able to put it together on the field, but he played great. He's got to rein in his emotions a little bit because you can't yes. have those stupid penalties, especially against a team like Georgia. They will make you pay big time for that, mm-hmm. but he's really turning into uh, quite a bit of a lockdown corner now uh, and Georgia's offensive woes, notwithstanding this weekend is going to be a little bit more of a measuring stick for him as far as coverage and see if, if he can be that lockdown corner. Well, and just to piggyback there for a hot second before we get into what they need to do to win. The thing I've been the most impressed with, with our defense, obviously our defensive line, you mentioned that, but our, our secondary, I don't see guys running by themselves wide open in space. We are in the play. Doesn't mean we we're blocking, knocking down balls, intercepting every pass, but we're there. That's what we've wanted for so long as fans to not be in a cover three or a cover four where we're giving 10 yards cushion and then backpedaling. So I really, really am happy to see that. Uh, shout out to Coach White and Coach Gray for what they've done with that secondary. Um, all right, two things Carolina's got to do to win this game. I kind of cheated here. I did cheat here. I'm not kind of, I, I, I said three things. Um, find a way to fight the UGA defensive line. I'm not going to say contain. I, I mean, fight. You can't get beat. You can't get stymied. Make some plays, find some space to make plays in the running game, and then also give time for passes downfield. We need to be able to make plays down the field. When you think about the big upset South Carolina had two years ago in Athens, the biggest plays were down the field in the passing game, and it was you know making big plays that made that difference. Force turnovers and get a short field. Our defense, uh, you know, has had two pick sixes in two weeks and has really looked good. We got to force more turnovers. We and again, circling all the way back to two years ago in Athens, Izzy McQuamu had two pick sixes. That's that's that was a huge part of it. We got to have something like that. Beamer ball needs to show up and, and make a blocked punt or a blocked field goal. Last thing, get rid. You touched on this. Cam Smith was a highlight of it, but really, there's a lot. Get rid of the stupid penalties. Uh, Coach Beamer talked about pre-snap and post-snap penalties and how they'll kill you in his press conference this week, and he is exactly right. We can't have false starts. We can't be offsides, and we certainly can't have unsportsmanlike after the play. Thomas, what's Carolina need to do to win? Yeah, you nailed one of mine was cut out the stupid penalties. Uh, they'll kill you in a game like this. Georgia will absolutely make you pay for that. But but secondly is productive run game um, for – we can't have South Carolina does not need to have a lot of three and outs. They need to have a good run game where they can rest their defense and allow them to be as productive as possible. But if, if South Carolina cannot establish that run game and they have a lot of three and outs, it's going to be a long day for that defense as good as they've been. I agree. I agree. All right. So Georgia, they got to make plays in the passing game. Um, they, you know, that was the deal that they, the struggles they were having against Clemson. They got to make some plays in the passing game. 
which uh, goes into my second point. They got to be able to block Carolina's pass rush from the front four. Thomas, you hit on it exactly. The the reason South Carolina was able to really stick around in the East Carolina game and finally come out on top was the pass rush we were getting while still dropping seven and eight guys. If you can get pressure and drop seven and eight guys, you're going to win a lot of games or at least be in an opportunity to. So Georgia, Georgia's got to be able to, to block the front four from South Carolina. What do you got? Yeah, um, and Georgia, just like South Carolina, needs to establish their run game. You know, I, I, I wouldn't say that Samir White's been as productive as I thought he would be. I think Georgia is probably still working out some kinks on their <laughs> offensive line as well. But they've got to establish the run game um, and then force punts. Again, uh, they they got to get South Carolina in, in, in three and outs, get them in, in second longs. Don't let them stay ahead of the chains. I got you. Well, I think as much as Gamecock fan as I am and you are, uh, it's a tough task any year to go in and beat Georgia and Athens. I think they have one of their most talented teams they've had in a very long time. And I think South Carolina, while playing with passion and and fire uh, is and together as a team, is outmatched here. Um, but I'd love to say they have a chance. Now, I will say, to quote Lee Corso, I think it's closer than the experts think. I don't think we lose by 30. Um, but so Thomas, that sounds like you're kind of on my wavelength there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at like a 35, 38, you know, 14, 17 kind of game here. Um, but, but I, I will say that the last night game that Georgia's lost in Sanford stadium, Kentucky, 2009. It's been a while. Yikes. Wow. There's a big stat for you. Not great if you're a Gamecock fan. All right, so moving on to our game of the week, Alabama and uh, Florida. We're going to really quickly hit on Alabama's offense and defense because we've already talked about them once. Bryce Young has been better than advertised. Uh, If you remember back to the episode we talked about Miami and Alabama, we talked about the fact that it was gonna, he was going to have to establish himself as a passer. That hasn't been a problem. Uh, John Minchie and JoJo Earl have done great things at wide receiver. Brian Robinson Jr. is getting the majority of carries out of that running back room. They've looked pretty dominant. The offensive line is, geez, Louise, just so good. So good. Um, now, here's my question before I flip it over so we can get a little more in-depth with Florida's defense. Is this Bama's first real test? Miami has not look, did not look great against App State. They, you know, they really didn't, and they won the game by one. But is this their first test? You know, Coach Saban went all berserk about the intensity they needed to have for Mercer, and that, you know that's just Saban being Saban and being a good football coach. <laughs> but this is their first real test, in my opinion. Thomas, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, and and particularly um, for for Florida's defense here, because you, you look at you know FAU, South Florida, Florida hasn't really been tested either. Um, their their defense coming into this game, um, they've given up about 650 yards. Now, defensive coordinator Todd Grantham, as we know, and 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 we lovingly like to call him Third and Grantham because of his propensity to give up big chunk plays on third down. Um, yep. you know, he does have a little bit of a high risk, high reward mentality when it comes to defense. Schematically, very briefly, 
uh, runs a variation of a three, three, five and uses uh, what he calls a star as a nickel cornerback lines up in the slot. It's very similar to a safety's role, but he, it, what was interesting about that is he doesn't really have, you know, a, a depth behind that one position. He'll flex a lot of players through that position, but essentially it's, it's going to be a, a safety that's going to be dropping down on that slot a lot. Um, but the defense is led by um, a lot of veteran linebackers, secondary other than Elam, junior cornerback Elam is a legit first rounder. That guy is is fantastic in coverage. He's a great tackler. Leads that secondary back there. Um, so he's he's going to be have everything locked down on one side. But it's uh, one of the things I've noticed in in the first couple games is and and Grantham does this a lot too, almost to his detriment. A lot of times he'll, he'll have the linebackers. I, I, I want you to pay attention if you get to see some of this game. He has them a little bit too far inside, whereas, you know, if, if he had the linebackers off of those tackles or right off of their outside hips, that gives them that many steps closer to break on those outside screens, to break on those flat balls. Now, there's a lot of speed at the linebacker position, so a lot of times their speed and talent can make up for that, but – it, it puts them late to that RPO boundary pass. Um, and sometimes they get the numbers game wrong. I've noticed in the South Florida game, South Florida came out and, and looked like they were setting up an unbalanced line and they were going to be running kind of an inside zone. Well, Florida was set up very obviously bringing pressure on the play side. Well, USF audible basically just flipped the play running back, walked over to the other side. Florida never adjusted. So where they did have a numbers advantage, USF audible flipped the play and they lost that numbers advantage. So Grantham sometimes can be a little too almost bullish and hard headed on things like that. But bottom line is, I mean, Florida has the talent to play press man and, and they play a, a little too conservative sometimes and play off the ball too much. But um, look, look for Bama to exploit this. If they are playing soft, particularly on those bunch sets, Bama's going to hit it deep. Okay, absolutely. So in a weird way, we've talked about uh, Florida's offensive scheme already because this is the Urban Meyer offense. You could make the argument that maybe Dan Mullen would make this argument that the Urban Meyer offense is actually the Dan Mullen offense because he was uh, he's been with he was with Urban at Bowling Green at Utah, uh, you know, at Florida, obviously. Then he went on to be the head coach at Mississippi State, coach Dak Prescott while he was there. Obviously, he was offense coordinator when Tim Tebow was there um, at Florida. But it's power spread, power spread, looking to use the quarterback in the run game. Um, when they have a quarterback who can do it, Trask didn't do that as much um, last year because that wasn't in his skill set. They are a team that is going to look for the perfect play. They are going to see how you're set up, You know, fake the snap, look over to the sideline, make a change or roll with it, whatever. Very simple principle that this offense is based on. And if you're watching this game, look for this. One high safety pre-snap, they're looking to throw the ball. Two high safeties pre-snap, they're looking to run the ball because that's one of their biggest things. Urban Myers mentioned it multiple times. There is uncertainty at the quarterback position. Emory Jones, who was the heir apparent, he got some play time last year for Florida when they needed that running aspect of the offense. It has been the starter for the first two games. Anthony Richardson, has been somebody that uh, fans have been calling for. He seems to be a little bit better of a passer, uh, at least with what the fans think. Everybody's favorite quarterback is the backup quarterback. So we'll see what happens there. They've played a little bit of both. So 
if Jones is looking over his shoulder, worried about how he's playing, but not thinking about that Bama defense, that could be bad. Thomas, tell us a little bit about the Bama defense. Yeah, you know, and, and no need to break down their scheme. There's really no need to even talk about the, the numbers. But what I do want to talk about is kind of what I think you're going to see out of this Alabama defense against this Florida offense. Um, again, one of the leaders of that defense, outside linebacker Will Anderson, is questionable for this game. He's got a knee, so he, he's a little bit day-to-day. But regardless, uh, they've got the talent here. Um, you, you mentioned something interesting here about the, the freshman Anthony Richardson who – you know, they're, they're both running quarterbacks. Um, Richardson, I didn't realize this until I started looking at stats the other day that mm-hmm. Richardson is averaging about 140 rush yards a game, which is mm-hmm. phenomenal. But what, even if Richardson is in the game and you've got to account for his legs almost more than you do for Emory Jones, honestly, I think Bama can defend him and they will defend him very simply because if Anthony Richardson is in there, He's, he's, he can't read a defense. He's pretty much, I mean, he's, he's a freshman. He didn't even play long in high school, so he's still learning the position. So he's not reading a lot. It's pretty much going to be one read, tuck it, and go. So you're going to look for Bama to be in a lot of zone coverage. They're going to have a spy on him that we talked about last week in case he does take off. But just sit back in zone and make him read the defense, which he can't do. Uh, Emory Jones, of course, can read a defense a little bit better because he has more experience. But Emory Jones is also has a lot of trouble with pressure and he's going to feel a lot of it this weekend, particularly coming off the edge. So I think this one could be, could be worse than the experts think. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, so that brings us to the two things they need to do to win started off with Bama shut down that QB run. You talked about the fact that they've got the skill and athleticism to do that in the front seven and keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. Keep being Bama. Right now, they look like they are in a different league than everybody else. And uh, I don't know that that's going to change this week. Thomas, you got anything to add there? Yeah, it's really, uh, really just Bama's got to be smart and, and contain the quarterback if they do, if they do do a lot of quarterback runs um, and set the edge too, because I think Florida's going to try to get the ball on the perimeter, some of those bigger wide receivers and run behind those guys. Absolutely. All right. So for UF to win the game, uh, force turnovers, find a way to get extra possessions. You're going to have to get extra possessions on offense, short field, score some cheap points uh, about what they're going to do on defense. Thomas, your thoughts. Yeah, really just Florida's got to protect the quarterback. You know, Bama's going to bring a lot of heat and they're going to try to rattle him. Uh, they're going to try to rattle the freshman and they're going to try to rattle Emory Jones just because he gets happy feedback there. But uh, really just protect the quarterback and get that run game going and try to get it on the perimeter and make something happen. All right. Well, I think I speak for both of us when we say I think this is a, a Bama win pretty easily. Yeah, I, can, I think Bama could hit 40 points in this one, honestly. Absolutely. Well, that is this week's show. Make sure you follow us on social media at, at SAA Football Fan. That's at SAA Football Fan on Twitter and Instagram. And we are also on Facebook. Thomas, thanks for coming again, buddy. Thanks, man. Enjoyed it.